Hi, this is Surya Devi, and welcome to A Voice for Love. I'm a world music artist and healer from Vancouver, Canada, with over two decades' experience serving individuals from all walks of life. We're going to be speaking with leaders and visionaries from around the world in the field of art, music, activism, health, education, spirituality, and more to talk about what it means to be a voice for love. We're going through massive changes on the planet right now, and I believe that what the world needs more than ever are people who are aligned, heart-led, and who can speak from the soul to help usher in even bigger shifts that will elevate us all into a more harmonious existence together. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey there, welcome to A Voice for Love. This is Surya, and I'm so excited to welcome my very special guest to you, Miss Universe Canada, Nova Stevens. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi, Boo. How are you? I'm um, excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. Oh, my goodness. Okay, please tell everyone a little bit about you in case they don't know who you are. Of course. So my name is Nova Stevens and I just won Miss Universe Canada, as you mentioned. That was in August or October. It feels like a year ago, to be honest, right? But in a way, it also feels like it just happened yesterday. So I don't know, but um, I am Canadian, but I'm Sudanese descent, so I'm Sudanese Canadian. I will be the second woman to win. I am the second woman who won the title of Miss Universe Canada, but I will be the first woman of Sudanese descent to actually compete at Miss Universe. So I think that's quite exciting. Oh, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And yeah, it does feel like forever ago when you, like it was only October, but it really does feel like so yeah. long ago. I remember I was so excited because like the, remember the show wasn't televised. And so I was like, oh in the morning I got up. I mean, I knew you won already anyway, but I was like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally I was like, of course she won. You're the sweetest. I remember I called you. I think I called you on pre, during prelims the night after. Yeah. The night of prelims. And I remember I was just like, oh my God, I think I screwed up. I, my walk was this. I, I just, I didn't like my walk. I didn't like, I was just telling you all these things that I didn't like. And how I felt that that was going to determine my placement in the competition. I remember you just so positive and encouraging. You're like, don't worry about it. It already happened. Just focus on the future. And I just want to say thank you. Honestly, like you have been a pillar for me during my competition. Just the words that you would say, your your just positive energy that you could just steal through the phone. Like when you speak, I literally absorb and feel that love and energy coming from you. So I just want to say out of my heart, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I feel the same way about you. I mean, I feel like you inspire me so much. I was just saying to you, like, I really feel like, you, I mean, you have many gifts, but one of them is really this, such a strong sense of self that you have. Like it is so inspiring to me. Um, cause like I, I was saying to you, like, you know, I work with so many people and usually the number one thing that human beings are dealing with are self-esteem issues. And you, I'm sure you have your moments, but you're just so confident. <laughs> we all do, you know, but like yeah. overall you're so confident and you just like, it's, it's just amazing. It's so inspiring. Aw, well you inspire me also. So, Aww. To inspiring each other for the rest of our lives yes. here on this plane. <laughs> exactly. So um, tell, 
tell a little bit about, um, I love the story about the journey of how you became Miss Universe Canada, because this was not your first time competing for the title, was it? No. Can you tell us a little bit about that? No, this was definitely not my first time. This was my third time. The first time I competed, I had no prior experience. I just wanted to try something new. I went in and I made top 12 and I was like, wow, if I can make top 12 during my first try, what would happen on my second try? So I took two years off and I decided to compete again in 2018. 2018, I wanted to be something not different, but I wanted to be myself because the first time I competed, I had a weave and it was beautiful, you know, but it was important for me to also recognize my own natural beauty and to show other girls that look like me that you can win a beauty pageant simply by being yourself without having to confine to society's norms of what is considered beautiful. So I decided to sport a short hair, short haircut, and then I made top 20. I was devastated. Honestly, that was probably the lowest point of my entire life. I don't even know how to explain it to you. Just feeling as though you're physical attributes that you cannot change, like your hairstyle, your skin color, and stuff like that that you can't change. It made me, it made me feel as though the reason as to why I was essentially demoted was because I no longer conformed to what they considered beautiful. I didn't have the long hair. I didn't have the weave or the wigs. I had my short, nappy hair, which is also beautiful. But at that time, I felt as though they didn't see it as beautiful, you know? And that really affected me emotionally. And I have to say, I probably was depressed. It's hard to admit, but I think I was depressed because at that moment in my life, I, I didn't care about anything. I didn't care to see my friends. I didn't care to work. Even financially, I just, it was the hardest time for me. I just didn't care about anything. I just let go. I, I allowed society to validate me, which is something you should never do, but I allowed society to do that for me. And it took some time for me to recognize my, my own self, self-worth and to learn to love myself again because I kind of lost a little bit of that during that time. At that moment, I also swore that I would never compete again because I didn't want to put myself through that situation ever again. But then in 2019, when South Africa won, a Black woman who also had short hair, something in me told me that I, I couldn't not compete. I had to compete whether I wanted to or not. There was a voice in my head and something in my soul that just said, you know about this, you have to compete because I truly saw myself in her. This is why representation matters. Had she not won, honestly, I probably wouldn't have never competed because I wouldn't have never seen myself at that level. So she inspired me. I texted my coach, Natalie Kalboba, who was Miss Universe Canada and Miss Universe in 05. And I told her, Natalie, I'm competing. She said, amazing. And then 2020 came, pandemic happened, <laughs> but I decided to compete and here we are. I won the crown. <laughs> oh, you did. I knew it. I knew it. I, I knew you were going to win. And, and you're right. Representation does matter. And that's such yeah. a powerful, potent story about, yeah, reclaiming. There's so much, there's so much potent medicine in there. And some of your lives, honestly, that you've done, they make me cry when you come and, you know, you talk about just like, I could see what an incredible role model you are for so many young girls, because it's true. We need to diversify beauty. And there's been so many, you know, 
there's been like certain standards of, of beauty that have been set and it's so unrealistic yeah. because everybody's different. Everyone's different. There's, to me, it's impossible to ha- expect everyone to look like one person. You can't. No, I can never look like you and you can never look like me and that's fine. I think the beauty of life is the fact that we look so different. Imagine when I think of life and the different types of people that live in this world, I think about a painting. Imagine looking at two paintings. Okay, one is just one color. Whether it's like all black, all white, but it's just one color, one shade. But then you see this other picture that has different, co- different colors. That's more beautiful to me than the plain one. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I love it. I feel so lucky to be from Vancouver and, you know, as you know, cause you live there as yes. well. It's such a, you know, there's so many different kinds of people. So I think we have access to, you know, to, to be with so many people and get to know yeah. people from so many different cultures. And I think that's yes. such a gift. I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your activism as well, because you're also, you know, an amazing activist. And I know that was one of the first places I saw you. And I was like, who is this woman? Like, I was just like, wow. That's how we met. But I was just taken by your, I mean, it's, again, it's not just your physical beauty. It's like, there's something so beautiful. Like you can, you're just such an angel. Like there's such a beautiful Uh energy that radiates, but it's very powerful too. So please like, let us know a little bit. Have you always been an activist? Was that calling really strong in you or was that? something that developed or how did that come about? I don't like to call myself an activist, but I've always been an advocate of change. I've always known the power of my voice and I've always used it, whether people believed in what I was saying or not, or whether people liked what I was saying or not. But I've always felt that it was important for me to speak for myself and also for those that can't speak for themselves. So when Black Lives Matter became a movement. And I don't like to call it a movement because this is people's lives we're talking about. I feel like a movement is short-lived. This is a struggle that we've been fighting for centuries, you know? So how I even became involved, I want to say it's divine timing. I recall attending the first marches or the first protests in Vancouver at the art gallery my intention that night was just to be with my friends, with everyone, and just be in solidarity. I had posters. I had no intentions of speaking whatsoever. None. That thought didn't even cross my mind. But when I got there, similar to what happened to me um, for Miss Universe Canada, there was a voice in my mind that said, you have to go speak. And I kid you not, I just felt my body move forward towards the stage. And I said to my friends, I have to go speak. And they're like, okay. (laughs) And I just made my way through the crowd and I arrived on the stage and I asked the organizers, can I speak? And they said, yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm waiting, waiting. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I still don't know what I'm talking about. I am not even thinking about what I'm talking about, but for some odd reason, I wasn't even nervous. I wasn't trying to figure out what to talk about. I was just waiting for my turn. And then once it became my turn, I grabbed the mic and just opened my mouth and just the words just came out. I honestly, they just came out. I had no idea what I was going to say, but I just spoke from the heart. And upon hearing me speak, Shamika Mitchell messaged me on Instagram. She said, no, but call me. So I called her and she's like, I heard you speak. You moved me. Let's do a march together. At that point, it, it was 
the beginning of June. So we put together a march that brought together over 15,000 in less than two weeks. We did not sleep. We did not eat. <laughs> it was, I don't, till this day, I'm not, I don't even know how we were able to pull that off because it was exhausting. It was exhausting. It sounds exhausting, but that also is a very divine. It's like, you know, we use this word like being an instrument and we literally are an instrument, divine instruments. And our voice is like such a big part of that. When you were just talking about you feeling your body getting pushed to the stage, like I had goosebumps because it's like, you know, when things like that happen, that's like your spirit calling you, you know? Yeah. I couldn't even say no. (laughs) I physically and mentally couldn't say no. I was at that march. I was at both of them, but that one, the the Freedom March, the one that you guys organized, was something else. Like I've never. That oh, was no. a that was a big one, and I've been to I've been going to marches and for all kinds of causes in Vancouver my whole life, and that was a that was a big one. I think that was one of the bigger ones. The biggest one I ever went to was the climate change one. That was like mm. I don't know if you were there. That was like a hundred thousand people, I think. But you, when was that? that? What year was that? That was I, I, I want to say twenty nineteen. I want to say. But that was the, it was like the International Day of Climate Action. That was, there was over 100,000 people. Oh, I was not in Canada. Otherwise I would have been there. Yeah. Of course you would have. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. But that march that you guys did was incredible. And then there was events and I mean, it was, it was so important. And I hope that we can sort of continue some of that momentum because it feels like there was a big sort of surge in that. And then, you know. I hope so too. Yeah. I feel as though a lot of people have kind of jumped off the bandwagon now that it's not trending anymore. You know, Black Lives Matter is no longer a trend. And because it's not trending, people don't feel the sense of being involved. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're, they're no longer under a microscope, whereas before everyone was walking on eggshells, they wanted to be involved, so they don't come across as a racist. But activism, especially for human rights, should be a lifetime, a lifetime fight. It shouldn't be temporary. And it should not only be for those that resemble your skin color or your sexuality. It should be for everyone. Anyone who's in pain, you should be fighting for them. Those are your fellow sisters and brothers. They may look different from you, but hey, siblings look different. And that's who we are. We're siblings. Yeah, we absolutely are. That's why I love this word, like humanitarian. humanitarian. And I think that this is the point that we have to get to as human beings is realize Mm -hmm. that, you know, actually one of the last interviews that I did was with my good friend, Zoe Bridgman. And we actually talked about how race is, it's a, there's only one race, you know, there's one construct. Yeah. Yeah, It's the human race. Everything else, this idea that people that look different are somehow different from one another. I mean, of course, yes, our cultures and these kinds of things, like, you know, we're different, but we're actually, there's only one human race. So a lot of the things that we've been taught are not even true. So there's so much unlearning that we have to do in all of this. Absolutely. I I definitely agree with you in the sense of um, hate is is a learned behavior. No child is born to hate. They're taught that. So I think we have to do better collectively and just teach our kids and our loved ones to love. We do. Absolutely. And that's where it all, it all begins. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So what do you think that we can do to sort of keep people going and keep this momentum going? Because that's what I've like all my guests this month, they're like, it's all black history month. So we've been talking about all of this stuff and that's what we've sort of been trying to get to. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can we get people to, because we know that it's the sort of the average person and their passive approach to things that can sometimes be causing more harm 
and not even the harm, like it causes harm and it also causes a big, like um, an interruption almost. It doesn't allow the change to come because when people, yeah. and I noticed this too. I mean, when I talk about certain things, people just tune out and it's like, because it challenges them or it makes them feel uncomfortable. Right. Thank you. I think the key word, yeah, uncomfortable and they tune out. What I've noticed, even when I, you know, use my platform to speak about Black Lives Matter, people always use the terms, you're being, you know, you're being sensitive, you're being dramatic, stop talking about race. But how could I stop talking about race when you won't allow me to be equal? You won't, you won't see me as your fellow human being. I don't want to have to keep talking about race. I am also exhausted, but I can't. I can't stop talking until you can recognize me as your equal. You know, as exhausting as it may be for you, imagine how exhausting it is for me to live in a world where the color of my skin is always a factor of whether or not I succeed. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. This is what I say to white people all the time is, you know, when they're like, oh, I'm tired of talking about this. I'm like, well, your discomfort or your is like nothing compared to what people feel that like literally they're afraid to go out of their house. They're afraid they, they feel, you know, they, they, there's so many factors. And it's uh, yeah. so the people who say this to you, I'm guessing that they're mostly not other black people. <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that just says it right there. But this is that, that's almost, it's like a form of gaslighting, you know? And it I, is gaslighting. It Absolutely. Is, it is because they're just refusing to, to listen to you, period. Yes. And I just think yes. that we need to listen to one another, whether you agree with somebody or not, like you have to listen to somebody's lived experience. And then yes. how can you even disagree with that? If somebody's sitting there telling you, I experienced this, how I, I I just don't understand how people can argue with that, and yet they do. They do. It boggles my mind that it's like my experience is, is not enough for you to to care. It has to it has to affect you directly in order for it to matter. I think that's how the world views a lot of issues that don't pertain to them, whether it's you know LGBTQ plus, Black Lives Matter, animal rights. A lot of people have that mentality of, it doesn't affect me, whatever, why should I care? Because regardless of what happens, their life will remain the same, whether they fight or they don't fight. Yeah, it's this thing that people don't get, though. It's like, nobody's free until everybody's free. And even inside of like so-called privilege, there's, but again, they can't see, nobody, people can't see these things until they actually start to like unpack it and work yes. around it until then it's like, they're in a, you know, they're, they're yeah. In some kind of a box where they're not able to see what it is. And that's, it's quite dangerous. You know, the more privilege that somebody has, the more likely they are to just be able to turn a blind eye to other things that are going on. I had a friend who viewed the word privilege as, a negative term in the sense that she felt as though the word privilege meant she was racist. And I would try to explain to her and we'd get into big discussions that it doesn't mean that you're racist. It just means that you are privileged because of the color of your skin. It's not your fault. I'm not blaming you for it, but recognize that you are privileged, that you are going to be offered more opportunities than someone like me. And that's just life until we're able to change that. But for now, that is the case. Yeah, it is. It's really a thing. People get very triggered when they talk about when anybody tries to point out any kind of privilege, whether it's white privilege, economic privilege. And it's mm -hmm. very ironic because 
those same people, what I find is like, they get very upset over little things. Like, you know, I always use the example of like, their coffee isn't the right temperature. Like that is just enough to send them into like a, oh my God, like, can you believe it? Like, I didn't get my coffee the way I wanted it. And yet like somebody sitting here trying to tell you, like they feel afraid for their life. They have been persecuted because of, for no And you're more angered by the temperature of your coffee than, oh my goodness. Yes. But it's so true, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, but again, it comes down to, I always say like, it takes emotional, it takes intelligence to be compassionate because you have to Mm -hmm. be able to say, Hey, listen, I haven't been through what you go through exactly, but I understand. I completely Mm -hmm. understand. I may not have that same exact experience, but I can relate to it. I can understand it. I can have compassion for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do whatever I can to do something about it because it's not right. But not everyone, you know, we're, we're not there yet with everybody. No, but I'm hopeful. I, I, I really feel as though the, we're heading towards the right direction, especially with this new generation. The young minds are just, oh, I'm so hopeful that, yeah, like your child and oh, yeah. when I have kids, I think they're going to be the change makers. They are, the and it, but it's all yeah. about being taught properly. I mean, a big a big faction, like in me doing my own kind of anti-bias work and unpacking my own relationship to life and everything, a big part of the reason I am the way I am was because my parents always taught me not to mm-hmm. discriminate against people. They always taught me it doesn't matter what somebody looks like or what they do, that everybody exactly. deserves equal treatment and respect. So that is a exactly. foundational piece of who I am. So I didn't have to learn hate and unlearn that hate. So that's a whole exactly. step. And I'm very grateful to my parents for that aspect yes. of my upbringing because it's, you know, and I was exposed to people from all over the world growing up because of both living in Vancouver and also my father's job working in international mm-hmm. development. We had people from all over the world coming and staying in our home and living with us Amazing. like family. So I didn't yes. think anything of like this, you know, I, I, there's a lot of associations that I just don't have. So I'm, I feel very fortunate. And I also know that other people have absorbed so many, you know, hateful and, and sometimes it's not even the, the outright hateful ones that are the most dangerous. It's the subtle, it's the subtleties yes. because people can't yes. see those subtleties. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first came to Canada, I don't, I was six years old, and I remember I was in school, Newfoundland. So you can imagine Newfoundland. Newfoundland is very homogenous, you know, but it's not diverse at all. I remember this one time, my friends, my friend was trying on lipstick, and it was pink, okay, like really bright pink. In my mind, I pictured myself as a white little girl, and I pictured myself putting on this lipstick, and I was like, wow, this looks so good on me. I truly thought I was like all of my classmates. I didn't see myself as a different color. It wasn't until someone pointed out to me that I was black that I realized that maybe I am different. But I think as children, we don't recognize our differences as much as we do when we grow up. You know, I remember this one clip that I saw online. It was these two little boys. One was black, one was white. And one, the black kid had his head, his head shaved. And the white kid was saying to his mom, mom, I want to cut my hair like so-and-so so we can be twins. So his mom shaved his head and they honestly thought they were twins. How beautiful is that? Kids don't see color. They don't see color in, in, in the hateful way that we see color. Because we do see color and it's okay to see color, but kids truly don't see color in the way that the world portrays color to be. White is better or black is not good. Do you know what I mean? Like they really do see each other as just, beings of light because they are light until the world tames them or until their parents teach them to hate 
you know what? That actually happened with my son not too long ago because he had a boy come to his daycare and I was just asking him questions. Like I was trying to figure out who the boy was. And so I asked him, I said, what does he look like? And he said, oh, he looks like me. Now my son is like mixed as you know, but this boy ended up having like blue eyes, like doesn't look like him, but that's what he said to me. He's like, oh, he looks like me. So, you know, they don't, they don't see that. They just see that. He's a boy. He looks like me. Yeah, totally. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, it is beautiful. And it is, I think there's so many, yeah, I think, I I think you're right that the next generation is going to be, they're just going to be something else. And even some of the, like the generation, even younger than, than me a little bit, I noticed with them, like, they're just kind of like, and and you've seen this a lot. Like I've seen this on, even on like the internet, you know, like teenagers schooling their parents. It was actually one of my closest friends that was part of, she had her big awakening around this all um, last year. And it was her teenage children actually that kind of gave it to her because my friends started going into her and I think this is the problem too is that you know white people will be like oh they they take it as this meaning of like oh we've never been through anything kind of thing and that that we haven't had challenges or problems because everyone has and it's like no that that's not what's being said it's just that you haven't had to have this extra added you know issue or you know problems Mm -hmm. with just because of the way you look people treating you differently right so it was actually my friend's teenage daughters that kind of called her out they're like no mom you can't say that because she started going into but I've been through this and this and this and this and her kids are like yeah and I think we have social media and just technology to thank for that kids are able to inform themselves whereas before you had to go to, to a library to learn about different topics but now your phone is literally an information tablet. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's like, yeah, we have, I mean, the internet is a double-edged sword. There's a lot yes. of, oh, yeah, yes. it's, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, there's everything going on there. There's, oh. yeah, that's a whole other conversation, you know, but there's, there's great things that happen on there. And then there's like, you know, the not so great things that happen on there. So, yeah. um, Tell us a little bit about what, what's happening for you now, because I know you're now on the, on the road to competing. This universe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in Mexico right now and I'm training. We still don't have a date for Miss Universe, but I'm just going to train as if it's tomorrow because you just never know. Absolutely. That's a great, uh, that's a great way to approach it. That must be really sort of unnerving a little bit. Like you have no idea because the date keeps getting pushed, right? I feel a lot of pressure um, from myself as well as from everyone that believes and supports in me. Because I like to, I consider myself a pleaser. I like to make people happy. And in my mind, if I don't do well in Miss Universe, I will feel as though I've let down all those people. So much of what happened at Miss Universe Canada, I was really stressed out because I was confused as to why there were so many people that believed in me. You know, that didn't make sense to me because the first and second time that I competed, yes, of course I had supporters, but it wasn't as much as I've had my last time competing. So I was really, really stressed out and I didn't want to disappoint them. And I know they wouldn't feel disappointed, but to me, I felt as though I owed it to them to win. So that's kind of what I'm trying to work, work through right now is not feeling the pressure of, I have to do well, otherwise I will let them down because I know they'll be happy no matter how I place up this universe, but that's my own personal thing I need to work on. (laughs) Well, that's a very common, like, empathic, you know, thing with empathic people, right? We do, we are sort of people pleasers, but I can guarantee you that nobody's going to love you any less. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you don't win. And whatever, whatever you are doing or like expressing, or maybe it was all these people who believed in you combined with your own belief. Cause I remember the first time I saw you and I saw that you were competing. I just knew you were going to win. Like it was just a, it was a no brainer. I was like, she's going to win. Like that's why that morning when I woke up, like looking to see the evidence, if you won or not, I was like, well, what, what, like, of course you won, you know, I wasn't surprised at all. You're so sweet. But that's really powerful. It is really powerful. It's a testament to when we have people around us who believe in us, that actually literally strengthens us from an energetic perspective. And sometimes if we have people that don't believe in us, that can actually hinder us. So it's so yeah. important to always surround yourself with people who believe in you and like kick the kick the haters and the naysayers to the curb because absolutely uh, it, it doesn't uh, it's it's not useful. Um, so tell us a little bit about, so Newfoundland, I can't even believe that you, I know. <laughs> for anyone who's not from Canada, Newfoundland is like the smallest province. Like it's like this tiny little Island. that's like separate yeah. from Canada way on the East coast. It's like a old, like they talk funny. Like I remember I remember I heard about this my whole life. And then I actually met somebody and I was like, wow, they really do. Cause they're they're It's almost like they're sort of Irish. Like they're kind of like their own, they're kind of like their own thing going on there so that surprisingly I don't remember how they spoke when I was there I don't remember at all I mean granted I was only there for one year but yeah I don't have a new accent I don't think no not at all but how did you end up so you were born in Sudan I was born in Kenya oh you're born in Kenya that's right I was born okay. in Kenya I was born in Kenya um so what happened was there was a civil war in Sudan at the time my mother fled to Kenya and my father and my siblings ended up somewhere else in Ethiopia. So we were in Kenya for about until 96 or seven, I would say. And then we got, we reunited with my dad and my siblings. So that was the first time I seen, so I, that was the first time I've seen my father and my siblings since, oh yeah, I don't think I've, no, not at birth. Yeah, that was the first time I've seen my siblings and my father. And then shortly after, I was shipped off to Canada. So I've only known my father and my siblings for probably a year of my entire life. Year, maybe two max. Yeah. Wow. And so then you ended up in... Newfoundland with my cousin. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, with my cousin and her husband at the time. Um, So things didn't work out between her and her husband. So we, the government located our relatives in Ontario. So I ended up in Ontario. And then from Ontario, I went to Calgary with my cousin. And then, yeah, Calgary and Toronto are where I pretty much grew up. Wow. So do you have, like, memories of Sudan from when you were small? Or is it sort of, you don't really remember so much? I have memories of when I was in Kenya and, or East Africa. So my mother and I traveled a lot. Right. I remember my, I used to pray for people. Like, I used to... Imagine this five-year-old, this six-year-old, like praying for a congregation. Like, I remember doing that. I remember (laughs) being lost. I remember my mother and I being robbed um, because there are a lot of pickpocketers in, I mean, at the time at least. And my mother, I remember we had to like hide stuff in our underwear so they wouldn't be able to take our possession, our prized possessions. I also remember being, if, it feel it looks like a jail, but I don't know if it was a jail or my mother and I had crazy adventures. Um, I also remember being in a truck that was covered in like almost like a potato sack, and there was lots of people in that truck. And I don't know where we were being trans transferred to, but I remember being in that truck. And eventually, we lived with my 
uncle and his family. My uncle was a diplomat at the time and he got assassinated. He was assassinated. So yeah, he was assassinated. His plane just burst into flames. Yeah, I remember that happened in Kenya. And then my mother was able to locate my family and we reunited. I remember the first time I met my father, my mom was like, that's your dad. And I was like, no, it's grandpa. <laughs> to me, he looked really old. So I thought he was my grandpa. She's like, no, that's your dad. It's Baba. And I'm like, no, it's grandpa. <laughs> and I remember the whole, um, the whole camp, because we lived in a UN camp. It was called Pinyaduk. So we lived in refugees camp. So I remember the whole camp had this big celebration. Everyone was like singing, dancing. It was almost like a parade for our arrival. And I thought that was just so much fun. And there was so much love. And I remember meeting my sister for the first time. Yeah, I have a lot of vivid memories, although I came at a very young age, but they're so vivid. Wow. Yeah. All those stories are fascinating and just, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's so, and, and, but you've been back since, right? No, I've never been back since. Wow. So my mother has always, so when I first came to Canada, I was under my cousin's guardianship. At the time you weren't able to apply for your citizenship unless you were under someone else or until you were 18. So she never cared to get her citizenship, apply for her citizenship. So I was unable to obtain my, my passport. So I had to wait until I was 18. And once I reached 18, I applied, but it was the longest process of my entire life. I had to get all my, retrieve all my documents, like my school transcripts, my immunizations, my school credits. And I moved around a lot when I was younger. So that was, that took, that took what, two years, I would say. And then there was war. And then my mother ended up being in a UN camp. I always told myself, I don't want to go to Africa. I I will never touch the soil of Africa if I cannot see my mother and my family, all of them together. I don't want to go to Africa and only see my father and my siblings. It has to be the whole unit. So my mother has been, up until this point, up until recently, she was in a UN camp. Seven years, I would say. And I told myself, I, again, I cannot go to Africa if, I, if my mother's not there. But recently, she was out of the UN camp. It took her 24 days to arrive to Ethiopia, but she made it. So now I can go to Africa and see them for the first time. It's been over 20 years, but better late than never, right? Oh, I know. I was like crying when I heard that story about your mom. So is your mom actually with your, your dad and siblings now too? She's with my sister and yes, and my father, I think. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're together. Oh, what an amazing story. And just yeah. like, wow. I mean, I, I just knowing this about you, is just, again, even more of a testament to how amazing that you are. You know, you've been through just such a unique journey and, and a challenging one at that. And yet such a, you still have such a strong sense of self. It's really quite remarkable. You know, I, perseverance has been the key word to my life. I think um, there have been lots of moments where I could have given up, but I realized giving up was never an option. Giving up was never an option because giving up meant giving up on myself and also my family. African tradition, when they send you to Africa, you become their provider. You know, and I don't want to say I agree with it because it can be stressful at times. But of course, when you are in a better position, you want to help your family. But it's just when, it's like sometimes you feel as though that's, 
that's your only purpose. You know, you feel as though they only sent you there for you to essentially work for them, you know? And I'm a giver and I, and I'm an empath. So I don't like to hear about all of the pain they're going through because I will literally give you my last cent if you're in pain. Right. But sometimes it's, it's exhausting because it's like, I'm expected to put their needs before my own, you know, and, and they're not shy about saying that either. And I'm happy to help, but it's like, they need to recognize that it's also difficult here. Granted, we have more opportunities, but it's also, it's difficult being alone. I've been living alone since, since 16, you know, having to raise myself, go to school full time, you know, being a student athlete and, having a job so that I could support my family back home and also myself like that, that was not easy, but I had to do it. And I guess you could say my strength comes from the fact that I, I've always felt that I owed it to my family to be successful. Now I'm not where I want to be yet, but they are who pushes me who will make it for them, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I know how that goes. That's, um, I mean, yeah, I was married to someone from Africa and just having yeah. traveled over the years. And um, a lot of places are like that. They don't quite understand the conversion of like, they're like, oh, you make X amount of money, but then it actually costs, you know, this much money, and more. Like if you tell them how much like it costs to like pay rent or drive a car or even just grocery shop, it's like, you know, our grocery shopping for a week might be like all that they make in a month, but they don't, it's like that it, it's difficult yeah. for them to connect that. So I think yeah. it's, it, it, it's tough actually. I was just trying to help, um, a girl that's, uh, where was she from? Nigeria, actually, that I met on the internet. And she was always asking me for help. And it was hard for me because I'm like you, right? I will give my last cent to, yeah, yeah. I will, I will, I will give my last cent to help people. But what I finally came to with her, and it was actually really great. I actually helped her make a website and I helped her okay. because she, she has a skill that she can use. So I saw that yes. and I was like, okay, because it was like this process for myself too, because I saw it's not helpful for me to keep just like giving her money. Right. And I know that exactly. it's legitimate. You know, she's a mother yeah. with a bunch of kids and stuff. So my heart goes out to her because I'm a single mom too. And mm-hmm. yet I saw too, this is not helpful because this is unsustainable. So what it's is sustainable exactly. is for me to try to help her and encourage her and teach her how she can actually yes. have her own business. Because in her case, she actually has a really incredible marketable skill that she can use. So that's really great. Like that's sort of going for her, but it, it's really tricky because I can tell, you know, they just see people that live in, you know, countries like Canada or America or Europe. It's like just mm-hmm. a, a big dollar sign. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, no, no. And of course, yes, we do have, you know, more resources and more opportunities and the cost of living and everything is also very, um, you know, very expensive. I remember when I was in South America many years ago, you know, most of the travelers would wear these like hiking boots, right? And at the time, you know, the hiking boots were, you know, hiking boots are, you know, a couple hundred dollars, right? And so all the people there would always walk up to us and ask us, how much did those shoes cost? And they were just like, you know, so like, wow, the shoes cost so much. But then, you know, and I understand to them, it just feels like, and I think they hear those numbers and they just think, wow, you know, you can afford so much. But I think that that happens actually with wealthy people, even within Mm -hmm. like Canada, for example, like I have a a bunch of wealthy, you know, clients and stuff over the years. And people would always say things to me like, Oh, you should charge them double. And I'm like, 
why? Like, I'm not going to yeah. charge them more. Like they're, they can pay the same as everyone else. If they want to exactly. tip me or if they want to, you know, gift me something else, yeah. that's up to them. But there's no, Agreeing. yeah, there shouldn't be any, like, I'm not going to charge them more just because they're a billionaire. Like that's not, exactly. that's not ethical in my, in my it's point not, of view. I agree. But people make those assumptions, right? They see mm. somebody has all the things, they have all this stuff. And then, but mm. this is the thing, you don't know, that person might spend all of their money paying for all that stuff that they have. And they, you know, they may or may not have any leftover at the end of the day. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> the world. I know so many things, world. so many things. So, mm-hmm. um, so if, when you win Miss Universe, what is your, when, the universe? <laughs> yes. I know. And your name is Nova. I was like, oh, I'm sure everyone says that to you, but I'm like, it's like your destiny. Actually, we were watching a, my son's really into like space and science. And we were watching a show about the universe. And it was saying something about like the black universe is Nova. And I was like, hello, <laughs> like, so I'll, cool. I'll have to find it. But they were saying, uh, yeah, it was like literally saying something like, you know, they say like the universe is basically like a giant black hole, right? And then yeah. Nova, like something like that. And I was listening and I was like, oh, you know? So I, I would say it's like your destiny. But w- w- is Nova the name that you were given when you came to Canada? So in Africa, okay, so we have a, we have a lot of names. <laughs> I have a lot of names. I have a lot of names. And all of our names have different meanings. Okay, so here, I'll give you my full name. So Nova Duruka Nyawal Kwan Bukjiok Steven. So we have like, so Nova Duruka Nyawal, that's how you say it, but like Nyawal is how you would say it, you know, Canadian or American way. So Nyawal means medicine girl or girl of medicine. So how I interpret that is that I'm a healer, you know? And Duruka, I don't know what that means. My mom said it was biblical. Yeah. Oh, is that your son? Hi. Hi, handsome. Aw. Hello, young king. Oh, don't be shy. Oh, he's so cute. You're so handsome. What? You're sticking your tongue out? Oh, he's so cute. What's his name again? Malachi. Malachi, right, right, right. Oh, that's such a powerful name. Do you know that do you know that Nova is Miss Universe Canada? <laughs> And so cute he yeah he's it's funny I guess it's a four-year-old thing because I'm like because he's always like usually he's very um uh, very chatty but I've noticed just recently he plays like he plays a little shy a little bit more so that's the thing okay so let's go back to your names because this is super interesting we have a lot of names I have a lot of names so there's Nova Daruka Nyawal and then my last names are Quine Bukjok Steven so I have three last names Nyawal means girl of medicine or medicine woman because in our in my culture NYA means girl so whatever follows after is girl of girl of you know I don't know girl of beauty girl of so mine is girl of medicine (laughs) medicine girl I love that and you are a medicine girl you are you are like medicine you're just your very presence is like medicine I love this okay yeah, that's how I interpreted that is that I, I, I'm a healer because I actually don't like medicine. <laughs> Ironically enough, I don't like medicine, but I do like to heal people. I do like to make those around me feel love and welcome. So that's, so I guess it's fitting. And then um, Nova is just, I don't know. Nova is, um, I don't know. I feel like the universe like named me Nova. I don't know. 
Because oh, Daruka is the biblical, my mom said, but I don't know what it means. Or I, I've never heard it in the Bible. Have you, Daruka? Daruka, it sounds sort of familiar, but I don't, I don't know what it means. <laughs> like, I'm okay, mom, just throw all these names at me. And there's also, I'm always, one of my nicknames is Nyakim. Um, and then there's Nyadiktor, which is like doctor woman or, yeah. So all my names are kind of like hinting like medicinal woman or, but it could also be because I was premature when I, when I was born. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I forgot where I was going with this. You are the medicine though. I love that. I think that's like such a great name for you. And I don't think medicine literally means like pharmaceutical yeah. medicine. It means like, you know, they say the word medicine woman, like in indigenous traditions to denote exactly. like a, a healer basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone who works with plants. When I hear medicine woman, I don't think about pharmaceuticals at all. I think about someone who works with plants and the earth exactly. and that type of thing. And I'm vegan. So I feel like I've kind of grown into the name that was selected for me by the universe and by my parents and all that stuff. Cause I, I love plants. Like my plants are literally my children. Oh my goodness. And I'm vegan. So I believe in plant medicine. I believe that your body can heal itself. I believe that what you eat is essential to your survival. You know, the more plants you eat, the better you'll feel mentally and physically. I've seen a shift in my whole mood and my body physically since I've transitioned from eating a carnivorous diet to a herbivorous diet. So, oh, big time! I know I've been a like a, I'm not fully vegan. I'm most I'm, I'm most I call myself an almost vegan because I'm like yeah. 80 90 percent. But I've been a non meat eater for the majority of my life now, like more than half my life since I was a teenager. So it's yeah. true, and it's um. Yeah, that's, that's huge. How did you come to that place of being a vegan? So initially it was spiritual. I had a lot of weird supernatural things happen to me. And I remember meditating this one time. I met, was meditating this one time. I cleaned the whole the room. I cleaned the whole room. I showered. I made sure everything was clean, like from top to bottom. And then I was meditating and... I remember my spirit guides telling me that I had to become vegan in order to reach my highest potential. And then that, that same day I'm like, okay. And I went vegan, like cold turkey, and I never looked back. Wow. And that's literally how I, I went vegan. It wasn't about health. And then after I started doing my own research, I realized there were so many benefits of being vegan, but initially it was all about my spirituality. There's so many, there's so many benefits. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I think about sometimes I'm like, why am I not like fully, fully vegan? And there's like so many reasons, but uh, <laughs> it's funny. I've been told to be vegan too. I'm not quite as obedient as you are. <laughs> I'm, mo- I'm mostly vegan. I'm like 90% vegan. I just like, no, <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah, I'm not always as, uh, but actually, no, no. The times in my life I have been fully vegan. I, um, I have a hard time keeping weight on and I actually get really skinny and almost like, like it, it's, it's a hard. So I, I find yeah. like if I just introduce like a little bit of like I eat a little bit of eggs and like a little bit of like yogurt and sometimes cheese and I find that that helps me so yeah I have to eat carbs to maintain my weight I, like you I also lose weight so easily oh my goodness I can lose weight like that gaining weight will take me a long time but so I, I have to definitely eat carbs just to maintain my weight yeah, and protein is a big one, like taking protein powders and all that stuff. I think it takes a little bit mm-hmm. of that. But I also think we're like the human body is evolving and that's 100%. We don't need all of this. You know, there was a time when we maybe needed all of these, you know, certain things because that was the only food that was available. Maybe it was food that people mm-hmm. could hunt and gather. Yeah. And now that's changed. 
Mm-hmm. So um, amazing. So Nova, thank you so much for, for being here with me today. Oh, you're amazing. Cool. I learned, I learned you're so amazing. much more. You're amazing. I learned so much more about you today that I didn't already know. Like I didn't like, this is a whole conversation around other times. I'm like, what? You're supposed yeah. to be vegan? Like what? You? <laughs> but so, tell people how they can find you and follow your journey because I want everybody to go, please follow her on her journey because she's doing so many, like seriously, your lives like make me cry. So please tell uh-huh. everyone where to find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's the Nova Steven. So that's T H E N O V A S T E B E N S. And that's the same for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And my website is under construction, but stay tuned. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, yeah, you're the only Nova Stevens. You're the, <laughs> you're the one and only. No, there's another Nova Stevens on Facebook or Instagram. What? And it's like this old woman. And I'm like, delete yourself if she won't respond to me. <laughs> You're like, listen, <laughs> yeah, delete yourself. Well, I know. Like she's no competition for you. So I was surprised. I'm like, darn it. So that's why I'm the instead of just Nova Stevens. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Everyone yeah. please follow her because yeah, you do so much amazing work. I mean, you're always doing work in collaboration with other organizations and helping raise money and awareness and all the things. So thank you so much for making time out of your thank busy you, my schedule love. to talk to me. And uh, yes, everyone, Miss Universe Canada, Nova Stevens, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sending you so much love to all of you. Mwah! Okay. Mwah. <laughs> thank you. Bye. You've been listening to A Voice for Love. This is Surya Devi. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this series inspires you to discover your own voice for love so you can use it to be a force for good in your life and in the world. You can find me at suryadeviworld.com. I wish you great joy, good health, and the courage to speak up for what you believe in. Peace.